Unbroken, the Paralympics and its record is sponsored by HireUp, Australia's largest NDIS-registered platform for people with disability to find and manage their own support workers. To find out more, head to hireup.com.au. That's H-I-R-E-U-P.com.au. This is Unbroken, the Paralympics and its record. Episode 3, Money and the Media. I'm Paralympic swimmer Annabelle Williams. I've been the Vice President of Paralympics Australia, the Legal Counsel of the Australian Olympic Committee and Chair of Paralympics Australia's Athletes Commission. In this series, we look at the record of the Paralympics. Money and the media are a big part of that story. We were beggars. We used to shake tins outside of footy grounds and freeze and cold. But nowadays, you just go in, train, go home. When we used to play basketball, train at basketball, we'd have to sweep the floors at the stadium, then train, and then go. It was pretty hard in those days, but that's all changed now. That's Kevin Coombs, a wheelchair basketball Paralympian who went to the very first Games in Rome 1960. The Paralympic movement has just gone from strength to strength. I think when Channel 7 got beyond it and uh, the corporates come on board, that's been marvellous for our Paralympic family. Kevin Coombs competed in four more Paralympics after Rome, but it was decades before Paralympic athletes got any funding at all. It cost so much money. It was $30,000 a year to be be doing the coaching and the travelling and all the equipment and everything. Tracy Barrell was a Paralympic swimmer. She's a triple amputee who won two gold medals at the Barcelona 1992 Games. But Tracy told us she had to end her swimming career because it wasn't financially viable unless she was sponsored. Was there any funding? Did you receive anything? No, we we shook buckets. I didn't know if I was actually travelling going in the team till the night before because my mum had to sell the farm and we didn't know if I was going to be able to afford to go or not. Yeah, this was The night before? Yeah, the night before we didn't know if the money had cleared to pay for my ticket. Yeah. We had a farm out at Golgong and so, you know, we spent heaps of time. um, we, We even went to school up there and we had horses, we had sheep. So I used to ride horses. It was so awesome just being out in the farm and stuff like that, just being crazy farm kids and... Yeah, so that, that was a real big thing for my mum to sell and um, she had to because I wasn't going to be able to go. So she, she sold the farm so that you could go to the Games? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. These days, some Paralympic athletes have sponsorship deals equal to or greater than Olympic athletes. In the US, Paralympic swimmer Jessica Long starred in a Super Bowl ad in 2022. Things have changed a lot, but they still have a way to go. Lots of gold medal winning Paralympians have never been paid a cent in sponsorship. But back in 1960 Australia, an Indigenous Paralympic athlete had trouble just leaving the country. They told me to get a passport and me me being as dumb dumb as dog shit, (laughs) what's a passport? (laughs) British passport. Kevin showed our producer, Sarah Allerley, the British passport he secured to get to Rome. Well, you've got to remember the date, 1960. Aboriginal people didn't get their rights till 1967. So uh, that's the reason why that. So you couldn't get an Australian passport as an Indigenous person in Australia? British subject, I reckon. I was a British subject. I wouldn't have been the first because my uncle and 
my grandfather went to the First World War, they would have been went on one of those honorary British passports. So Kevin Coombs had trouble leaving Australia, but at least when he got to Italy, he could join his teammates at the bar. Back home in New South Wales, Aboriginal people weren't even allowed in pubs. But Kevin still wasn't welcomed by everyone at the games in Rome. A quick heads up, this next part includes an offensive word. I went to a bar one night, well, whilst we were in Rome, and a Zimbabwean couple were there, and he said you could hear him because he was sitting two down from me where I was sitting. I was having a cold beer, and he said they're opening, opening the bars for niggers now. Uh, nearly nearly created a storm between my teammates and him. And I told, I said, no, no, don't get involved, boys. Instead, Kevin pointed out the Zimbabwean to the team manager the next morning. I said, that's him. And he went over and grabbed him and pulled him up by the front of his shirt and he said, don't ever do that to one of my team members ever again. And he was just about to take a swing at him, but... A lot of people jumped in and stopped it. The killing of George Floyd by US police in 2020 sparked the Black Lives Matter protests and led to an increased focus on diversity and inclusion in companies. Corporate Australia has responded by focusing on not just racial and cultural inclusion, but disability too. And there's been an increased interest in companies sponsoring the Paralympic movement and Paralympic athletes. But not much changed between Kevin Coombs' first experience in 1960 and Sydney 2000. It was during the Sydney Games that we saw a real shift. Spain going very well in lane number six, but slightly down on Australia in lane number two. It's Williams for Australia. At every other Games before 2000, the Paralympics looked a little bit like the poor cousin to the Olympics. But in Sydney, the momentum of the movement really started to build. Stadiums were packed. The standard of racing was fierce and the public fell in love with athletes like Louise Savage. I was in year six at the very end of primary school and I remember feeling so proud to have a disability because my whole school was talking about the Games. The Sydney Paralympics was a game changer for the movement. But it was really London in 2012 where the movement just exploded. They cannot believe it. Australia from lane two got the win. That was one of the most memorable moments of my life, winning gold. But there are a number of things that have stuck with me about London 2012. The Australian Paralympic team caught buses into London after a staging camp we had in Cardiff. And I remember driving past these huge billboards all along the highway that just said, thanks for the warm-up, meaning thanks to the Olympics for the warm-up and here's the main event, the Paralympics. I remember thinking, that seems really significant. There was a build-up for the Paralympics that I'd never seen before. The UK had also introduced this system where a percentage of lottery tickets went to the athletes. I remember having a conversation with one of my rivals. She was in the same classification as me and earning £80,000 a year because of the lottery system. And that kind of money just didn't exist elsewhere in 2012. It meant they were earning enough money so they could focus just on training. There was also a massive financial investment from one particular media outlet. I think I've always been really fortunate when I look back at my Paralympic career that I, I really was I was involved at the right time. 
Liz Johnson was a swimmer who won three Paralympic medals before retiring in 2016. By that I mean like a lot of change happened and one of the big things was around the broadcasting rights because historically in the UK what would happen is they would bid, a, a, a production company or organisation would bid for the Olympic coverage and they would get the Paralympic coverage almost as like a bolt-on. Um, so obviously then the majority of the budget would go on the Olympics the expertise was involved with the Olympics, and then there'd be a considerably smaller budget left to deal with the Paralympic Games. But when London 2012, when London won the bid and became the organising committee, they put a lot of different stipulations in place. Liz is now a broadcaster and media executive, and she's currently the executive producer for the Paris 2024 Paralympics for Britain's Channel 4. She spoke to us remotely from London. I think the perception of people with disabilities has changed and the Paralympic Games and the coverage of that has had a massive impact. But again, the role that the coverage plays has evolved over the 11 years since London 2012. So, for example, in the beginning, London 2012, it was like this, it showed what people with disabilities and disabled people can do. Like if you give them what they need to be successful, if you remove the unnecessary barriers it really helped like shine a light on what was possible, which was brilliant in one sense, and it really helped move the dial in terms of Paralympic sport and para-sport generally. But what then happened was actually people watched the game for those two weeks, they got it, they understood it, but they didn't, tra- like, didn't take those lessons and those learnings into society. I've been friends with Liz for 20 years and she's a high-profile and celebrated athlete. In her executive producer role for Paris, she's keen to shine a light on disability more broadly. Back in Australia, we're also preparing for the Paris Games. Channel 9 has bought broadcast rights for both the Paralympic and Olympic Games. In the UK, Channel 4 has the Paralympics and the BBC has the Olympics. Since I've been involved since London 2012, where ABC did a fantastic job, you know, the trajectory of the way that broadcasters treat Paralympic sport has just improved every single Games. And so it's really exciting to see what Channel 9 will do. What are you hoping they do that didn't happen last time? I believe at the moment they've committed to 14 hours a day, I believe. I would love to see that increased. (laughs) You know, I think what they probably have the potential to do that we didn't see last time is the breadth of newspaper, radio. Nine is a major media conglomerate that includes radio stations like 2GB, print and online publications like the Sydney Morning Herald and streaming service Stan. And I think that that has great potential to spread the word. Kate McLaughlin from Paralympics Australia is chef de mission of our Paris 2024 team. She tells Sarah there are pros and cons of one broadcaster getting rights to both games. In 2012, we saw this in London when Channel 4 had the Paralympic Games, BBC had the rights to the Olympic Games. I think what that did was it, you know, Channel 4 took full advantage and they did an amazing job. There's elements where if, you know, a channel only has the Paralympics, they put all of their energy into those games and really make the most of it. That said, I don't think we're going to see a disadvantage with that from a Channel 9 perspective because when you've got a broadcaster already in country. They'll have learnt from the Olympics as well. The Paralympics starts two weeks after the Olympics finishes. 
There'll be things that will go wrong or there'll be things that they will probably change and do better for the Paralympics. From a Paralympic perspective, going second, there's huge advantages to that. The Olympics, unfortunately, when they go in first, they're the guinea pigs. Whereas when we go second, they've corrected a lot of those teething problems. But we're still grappling with this problem of inequity in funding and sponsorship for athletes. Something that's sort of come up with athletes is the difference in treatment by sponsors and and Mm. funding between like Olympians and Paralympians. I think it's shifted dramatically in the time I've been here. In London, we had very few, I could have counted our sponsors on one hand. And by the time we got to Rio and then obviously Tokyo, we shared a lot of common sponsors with the Olympic team, which has been a huge shift. And in some cases, we've got sponsors who are only sponsoring us this time around. You know, Bupa is one who are not sponsoring the Olympic team, but are sponsoring Paralympics Australia, which is brilliant. And I think companies are increasingly seeing the value in the Paralympic team and the stories that our athletes tell and you know their backgrounds. This is what I referred to earlier, corporates supporting the Paralympics and athletes with disability as part of their diversity and inclusion strategies. I'm obviously very biased, you know I love, I love Olympic sport but I feel like the, the stories of our athletes are a massive benefit for the Paralympic movement over the Olympic movement and I think sometimes Paralympic athletes are more relatable to everyday Australians because everyone goes through you know, hardships and problems and so on. And, you, and when you see people at the Paralympic team who have overcome these amazing, you know, amazing adversity to compete for their country, I think it's a little bit more relatable perhaps than, you know, the amazing Olympic athletes who do amazing things but, you know, perhaps are just gifted in, in, in elite sport. So I think there's been a massive shift and I do feel like a lot more of our athletes are getting sponsored. And if I'd looked at that list back in London, I reckon there would have been five you know, now we're seeing vast swathes of athletes who've got personal sponsors. Do you think that's directly <laughs> tied to the increased support from broadcasters or the increased interest from broadcasters? Yeah, absolutely, I do, yeah. I think the success of the Australian Paralympic team has been amazing too. You know, we, we do well, we punch above our weight as a small country and I think as well the way they speak, the wider team and about their performances is just so honest and raw and relatable. Brad Scott in Rio... He won a bronze medal in athletics and he came straight to the microphone after his race and it gets me all choked up just the way he spoke. But he, he looked down the barrel and he said... To all those kids back home with a disability, your disability doesn't have to be your excuse. It can be your greatest opportunity. Just like out here, you guys need to get out here because this is amazing. So don't use that as an excuse. Use it as an opportunity. Become a Paralympian and do yourself and your country proud. They're so selfless in the way they come. They don't just take the time to go do you know what this is my moment and I'm going to talk about my performance they think about what the impact of that performance has on the wider community and those kids out there who look like them and who rarely get to see people that look like them on tv and all of a sudden they take advantage of that and yes see their role and their platform they have and the good they can do which I just think it's just something which is really exciting that Paralympic athletes it's exciting but also slightly tricky Paralympians want to be interviewed first and foremost as elite athletes rather than people with disability who happen to be good at sport as a bonus. It's really individual the way that Paralympians like to use their platform. There's a nuance between inspiration for what they do on the field of play versus inspiration as a human. This is where we don't like getting praised for going about everyday tasks like catching the bus or doing the grocery shopping. Paralympics Australia receives some government funding, but it's not enough to send a team to a Games, so they fundraise in other ways. But Tony Nah, who worked for the organisation for 20 years, 
is uncomfortable with some of the approaches that are taken. There's still a hangover from the rehabilitation days. So there is still that feeling, the sort of sympathy for people with disabilities, which has no part in the Paralympics. I think one of the things that Paralympic Movement has struggled with, we always were aware that we were raising funds and often the easiest way to raise funds was based on sympathy. And so you'd make a sympathetic appeal and so you played sort of on the disability level but at the same time we were promoting our athletes as elite athletes and we were treating them as elite athletes and so there was this dichotomy between what we were doing to raise money and what we were doing to actually achieve results. There's a real role for the Paralympic movement to play in influencing the way the community and society see people with disabilities. For better or worse, you change perceptions when other people see achievement and see high achievement and it changes their perception not only of the person who's achieving but of that entire community. And so in that respect, Paralympians are representing the wider disability community. But Tony says Paralympics Australia needs to be mindful of its messages when they're fundraising. It's easy to fundraise based on sympathy. If you're looking for sympathy, it's very easy to tug the heartstrings and raise funds. But by the same token, you're saying, here we are, we're elite athletes. We did have lots of debate over whether or not that was something that we should do. And there was definitely an argument that says, no, you don't go down that path. Tony doesn't like some of the letters he receives from Paralympics Australia asking for donations. So-and-so is in a wheelchair. Her life wasn't worth living until you can make it better for her. It's the approach where you're looking for sympathy than looking for support. Uh, we're doing 200, so we've just done some standing starts, so promise... Oh. Angie Ballard has won four silver and four bronze Paralympic medals and has been wheelchair track racing for 30 years. Sponsorship in the Paralympics, I find it a challenging space. It's way better than it was, but it could still be better. There's a couple of things that come up is that the same people get sponsored so you'll have like someone with six sponsors and making quite good money and then you'll have other people like myself who have never had a sponsored chair in my life so I've been racing since I was 12 and I'm going to be 42 next year so that's 30 years of buying all my own equipment and so on and that can be really frustrating like I remember 2015 I was having some of the best racing I've ever done I'd broken world records. I went to an awards night and I was up against some other people and the person that ended up winning it. So I was like top of, I thought, peak of my career. I'd won a world championship medal, like gold, sorry. I'd, I'd won bronze and silver before, but I'd top of my tree, breaking world records. And the person that got athlete of the year was someone that was selected for the men's cricket, Australian cricket team. Angie's referring to the able-bodied cricket team here. And I was just like, really? <laughs> like, this is the Top of, like, the only thing that would be better than this would be a Paralympic gold medal. And that that's what happens. And I find often with Paralympic athletes, they have to be the whole package. You have to look good, speak good. Speak good. Wow. Um, I won't be one of those people. Um, <laughs> uh, speak really well. Be really aware of politics and almost play it safe to a certain extent. It often means that there's lots of other people out there with different disabilities, different things to add to the conversation that aren't getting highlighted. And I think that's what I find frustrating is it's just sometimes very black and white. We get certain people that we want to back and then we keep on backing those same people. And those people are great. 
that's not the problem. It's just could we get a few more people at the table? So why hasn't Angie been sponsored? I don't know. This is like sometimes it's just a bit of a kick in the ego. Like Mm. I've had teammates sponsored before me. I've had people who have been offered chairs and things. Angie requires highly specialised wheelchairs for track racing and they're expensive. I don't put myself forward. I do a lot of work behind the scenes. I do like being in the room and saying, hey, this is a different way we could approach this or this is the way that, you know, some people with on the pathway have experienced things so we could make some changes. So I definitely operate more in that behind the scenes thing. But I actually think sometimes it comes down to sponsors not even taking the time to figure out who's on the field and who deserves some support or things. I remember I won gold at the 2014 Glasgow Commonwealth Games. So I won the race. And I remember someone saying, there was someone else that won gold medal that night. And I remember the media person saying to me, you're going to be like untouchable after this. Like they'll just, everyone will want you. Everyone like, untouchable was the wrong word there, but you know what I mean. Um, Like everyone will want you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, I don't believe that, but we'll see what happens. And nothing. But even when I went into 2018 Gold Coast Games, defending gold medalist, not a lot. Angie really does give so much to the Paralympics and is a wonderful ambassador, yet she's one of the many who have never received sponsorship. Have you got thoughts and experiences about just the general pool of money for Paralympians versus Olympians is another way to look at it. Look, that is getting better, but it's that one's a really hard fight. So sometimes sponsors will say, hey, we want four Olympians, four Paralympians, but they won't necessarily pay them the same. And then they might keep that stuff secret. So you're relying on the athletes to talk to the other athletes and go, hey, what are you getting paid? Oh, I should be paid more, you know? And so there's a lot of That at least is improving. I know there's a lot more conversations behind the scenes and a lot more of the athletes are really open to taking phone calls from other athletes that are just getting into this and going, hey, like, what do I even charge for doing this or that, you know? And obviously a key part of sponsorship is media coverage. Media coverage has definitely gotten a lot better over the years, both in terms of quantity and quality. Like, honestly, if I read something and it's got the facts right, that used to almost make me cry because I was like, oh, wow, you actually took the time to do a little bit of research. Because back in the day, you know, someone would write something up and you're like, well, none of that is right. They would just like splat something against the wall and that was enough. Back then, like if someone wrote something about you, you didn't have social, like in the early 2000s, we didn't really have a way to say, hang on, like that's not right or here is the actual information you should be doing and dealing with. They have to write, I don't know, 400 words about me having a car accident when I was seven and then I get maybe 100 words on that I went to a competition. It's getting better and people ask better questions. Danny Dottoro is another successful Paralympian who has really given so much time and energy as a mentor and an advocate over so many years. I think you could almost ask anyone on the team and they would describe her as the heart and the soul. Danny had a 25-year career as a wheelchair tennis player and after a bit of a break came back as a wheelchair table tennis player in 2015. Danny has some thoughts about the nuances of the narratives that are used by sponsors and other organisations. 
I understand how kind of it can get wrapped up into some uh, uncomfortable things for people. But I think generally speaking, when they see the athlete with a disability or the Paralympic movement, they're seeing people that have had to figure out a way that maybe is a bit different, that it's taken a bit more time, it's taken a bit more energy, but that it's been possible and that it's worth it. And you can kind of connect to that in a way that gives a humanness to it. And that's where I think that aspiration piece can become really powerful because when you see people who are like, okay, I'm just having to figure out a different way to do this or I'm trying to just you know, work hard towards this and it looks different for me than it does for you, but I'm figuring it out and I think that makes people go, I can figure that stuff out too. You know, life doesn't need to be cosy and easy. It's okay for it to be difficult. In fact, that's awesome because it's never easy. So if you're okay with it being difficult and you're excited about how to just work with that, then, yeah, you can barely imagine what your life can look like. You know, like when I went to Atlanta in 1996, just even the kinds of disability you'd see, like just so diverse, like really, really, really diverse. You know, sport at that level, we have an incredible privilege. You know, we get offered a lot of things that so many within the disability community in Australia don't. Like it's, it is easier to have doors open when people recognise you in a sporting environment. And like Angie, Danny has been frustrated over the years with the media focus on how she acquired her disability as a child. For the record, and only to explain what Danny's about to say, she acquired her disability when a wall collapsed on her at a swimming meet. If it was kind of TV in any sort of way, whether it was like a long or a short interview, it would always start with an image of a brick wall and that the day of the accident. Like if there was a 10-minute piece, five minutes would be about this accident. Another thing happened in 2021 in Australia. Writer and disability advocate Hannah Davini remembers the moment. Okay, the world at large found out about about a year or two ago that Australian Paralympians weren't paid for winning medals in the same way that Olympians are and at the same rate. And Instagram and Twitter in particular just went, what the heck? It was announced during the Tokyo Games that Paralympic medalists would receive the same payments as Olympic medal winners. And I think that was a really great example for a lot of people of the inequity between the able-bodied experience and the disabled experience. We all know that it exists in so many areas, but the general public doesn't necessarily. This was just a plain and simple here's column A, here's column B, compare, compare the pair kind of thing. And people couldn't argue with that because it's pretty black and white. It'll be interesting to see if Paralympians receive medal funding in Paris next year. I think the significance of London 2012 can't be underestimated. I mean, just the way in which the organising committee embraced the Games. There, I remember the... Lord Mayor at the time, who was Boris Johnson, I remember him saying that the Olympics were the antipasto and the Paralympics were the main course. I remember walking out of venues and being swamped by kids wanting to get my autograph. They wouldn't have known who I was, just that I was a Paralympian. And that sort of thing had never happened before. Andrew Parsons is the president of the International Paralympic Committee, and he's pretty enthused about the future of the movement. 
we are seeing uh, a lot of improvement and in terms of the broadcasting and yeah, revision of the games and every uh, and in many competitions in between games we have more broadcasters interested than ever before the the funny thing because you have mentioned them earlier is how channel four is influencing or has been influencing since 2012 different broadcasters around the world so different broadcasters in the lead up to Paralympic Games editions, they ask us sometimes, what is Channel 4 doing? Really? So, yeah, so I, I think they really create, have created a different, a specific culture yes. when it comes to pro, broadcasting sport. But they have learned and they have changed. So, for example, there's a lot of controversy now about the message of the Meter Superhumans that in 2012 is used. Andrew is talking about the UK's Channel 4 advertising campaign promoting the 2012 Paralympics. Until then, the Paralympics had been broadcast by the same network that covered the Olympics in the UK. The TV ad was a bold statement about the Paralympics. It was cut to a hip-hop track by Public Enemy and it celebrated Paralympians as warriors. And it came with the tagline, Meet the Superhumans. It was revolutionary at the time. By 2016, Channel 4 had another impressive ad with an audio description voiced by Australian comedian Adam Hills. Here's a taste. A series of wheelchair users, from ballroom dancers to wheelchair rugby players who collide. Ouch! The singer rolls into a black and white scene, complete with graceful amputee tap dancers, a pianist with partially formed arms, tap dancing prosthetic legs, and a chorus line of girls elegantly displaying their stumps. The singer dons a crash helmet and smashes through the set wall. A starter's pistol, Paralympic swimmers racing, then Blade Runner Richard Whitehead sprinting on a track. A rock band appears in the middle of a wheelchair basketball game. On the next episode of Unbroken, the Paralympics and its record, we'll ask the question, to what extent has the Paralympics been a trailblazer for improving broader accessibility? and we'll hear powerful stories of success outside of sport. Unbroken, the Paralympics and its record, is hosted by me, Annabelle Williams. The series producer and executive producer is Sarah Allerley. Research is by Kylie Gray and sound engineering by Isabella Tropiano. Andrew Thomas is the commissioning editor for Higher Up, which brings you this series. Thanks to Network 7 and Channel 4 for use of their archive. support where I'm in control, but can get help if I need it. Disability support should be more than just a website. It should be people who help you live your life your way. Hire up. Disability support as it should be. Visit hireup.com.au.